Our first reading is from the first book of Kings, chapter 19, page 346, if you're following in our Bibles. 1 Kings, chapter 19. And after Elijah's wonderful mountaintop experience, we find him fleeing. Now, King Ahab told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back 
the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And this is the word of the Lord. Now we have quite a long gospel reading. If you are able, please stand for it. And it is to be found in Mark chapter 5 on page 952. Mark chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 21. And we read, Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kaum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. 
She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And this is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Jesus, stand among us in thy risen power. Let this time of worship be our hallowed hour. Breathe the Holy Spirit into every heart. Bid the fears and sorrows from each soul depart. Thus, with quickened footsteps, we'll pursue our way, watching for the dawning of eternal day. Amen. So how do we look at Christ? What's our frame? What's our understanding of his power in our lives? That's the theme we're going to explore over the next quarter of an hour or so. As many of you will know, this is my final Sunday with you. It's eight years in the making, and it's almost to the anniversary of when I arrived to help Jane, Ginny, and Vanessa, and a mess of other people with the Kickstarter Holiday Club in 2011. Some of you will have got to know me quite well over the years, and some of you will have children or grandchildren who grew up being corrupted by my incessant love of Christ and my obsession over his duality of being fully God and fully human. And some of you will only know that I say some funny things like offertory and that I've, <laughs> that I've been in and out of this church family for the better part of the last year dashing around between theological training and church placements and finally culminating in Timmy and I moving to Margate where I begin my curacy at Holy Trinity in Cliftonville one week from today. Rest assured, my time here will never be forgotten. And my formation here under the love and assistance of Steve Conies and Chris Skingley and Denise Critchell, Richard Brady, Fabian Wotes, and a whole cast of people who don't wear white plastic collars in their shirts on Sunday morning as it has proven invaluable in shaping my experience of how I look at Christ and my understanding of Christ's power in my life. I also need to mention Paulette, who I am blessed to have known since she was on this same journey, and who is now blessed by the love and support of all of you in this place where together you journey through getting to know Christ better in your own lives together. So having said all that, let's take a look back to today's reading and think about my first question. How do we look at Christ? Do we have a slide for this one, Tom? Thank you. So the painting on the screen is Christ of St. John of the Cross, and it's a painting by Salvador Dali made in 1951. It depicts Jesus on the cross in a darkened sky floating over a body of water complete with a boat and fishermen. And although it's a depiction of the crucifixion, it's devoid of nails or blood or a crown of thorns because, according to Dali, he was convinced by a dream that these features would mar his depiction of Christ. 
also in a dream the importance of depicting Christ in such an extreme angle was evident to him. This is Dali's depiction of Christ. And its eeriness hints at something beyond rationality. Something more than our minds can comprehend. It's caused controversy for over five decades. And it was still causing controversy when Timmy and I saw it in London two summers ago. And whether you like this painting or not, Dali has touched on something and almost summarized its essence. A feeling that is echoed in today's reading that might leave us uneasy or in a place beyond rationality. Something beyond what our minds can comprehend. Can I have the next slide, Tom? In today's gospel story, Jesus is on his way to heal a sick young girl. And on the road, a large crowd presses in around him. A woman who's been bleeding for 12 years touches the hem of his cloak and is healed. And Jesus could feel a physical power come out from him. He asked who did it, and the disciples get a bit sarcastic with him. Come on, Jesus, who touched you in a crowd this size? Really? But the woman fesses up, and Jesus blesses her. Her faith has made her well. Right, there's the subplot out of the way. Jesus was doing something. He got interrupted and did something else. And now he can go back to healing the sick girl. But wait. News comes that during this time, she's died. So Jesus does the logical thing, the logical thing for Jesus, really, and reassures them she's not dead, she's just asleep. Well, that's greeted with laughter, and I would guess probably quite cynical laughter. But can you imagine how quickly that laughter stopped when she actually got up? Can you imagine the confusion when Jesus tells them to keep this whole raising the dead thing quiet? Or when his next instruction is to feed the girl? This tends to be how I look at Christ. Did you see how much just happened in that short span of time? How many completely improbable things just happened? How much healing just went on? How many people, including Jesus' own disciples, didn't quite get what was going on or understand what Jesus was capable of? That's the Christ I know. The completely unpredictable and incredibly compassionate one. The Christ who stops in the middle of doing something super important to give healing to someone else completely at random. The Christ who isn't angry at the woman's intrusion, but rather touched by her faith. The Christ who isn't willing to let a little girl die because he got tied up on the way there. The Christ who has just stepped off a boat the moment before all this went down. When he was actually probably intending to teach the assembled crowd, or eat, or sit and have a drink with the locals, or any number of other things that might have been on his agenda. 
He may have been tired. Jesus was fully human as well as fully God, remember? He may have been hungry. His journey to Jairus' house may have taken quite a while, and especially with a crowd pressing in around him. He may have had a headache or all sorts of other things going on. But he drops everything to go and heal, which is exactly what he'd been doing in the previous story in Mark's Gospel, when he was getting into the boat on the other side of the lake. And before that, he'd been woken up in the night after a long day of teaching crowds to calm a storm for his disciples. There's so much to be said about this model, and that will be carried into my ministry. And indeed, it seems a bit of a God-inspired coincidence that this is my passage for the final Sunday with you the Sunday before I am ordained into the Church of England. This passage reminds us of the unpredictability of Christ's approach to our rational way of thinking. Christ's approach, not ours. This is the Christ who can come into a situation and turn it completely upside down. This is a sign of unwavering interruptibility and compassion, the Christ of the moment, the Christ of the people, the Christ of history, and all his conceivably inconceivable mind-boggling practices. So how do we look at Christ? How do we look at Christ? The Christ who loved little children and inspired a bunch of angry religious folk not to stone a sinful woman. The Christ who forgave Peter before Peter even denied knowing him. The Christ who cursed a fig tree for not bearing fruit. The Christ who ate with tax collectors and sinners. The Christ who told his disciples something was someone was going to betray him. Someone who was in the room and didn't out the guy. That w who would have then been stopped from doing it by the other people in that room. The Christ who took their sins and ours and Judas's and the guy who cut you off on Thanetway getting here this morning's <laughs> and the lady in front of me who grabbed the last vegan sausage roll at Greg's yesterday's and the guys who came up with Love Islands. You get the point. How do we see that Jesus Christ? How do we see that Jesus Christ in ourselves? How do we see that Jesus Christ in others? How do we see that Jesus Christ in the church? Christ is a healer, patient pastor, raiser of the dead, friend of the dodgy people, champion of the homeless, calmer of the storm, ever interruptible for someone in need, breaker of power, the power of sin and death, restorer of human beings to right relationships with God through his sacrifice made once for all on the cross, a sacrifice no less real 
than the one he made when his plans were interrupted to go and heal the sick the moment he stepped off a boat. A sacrifice no less fantastic than that of raising a young girl from death. A sacrifice which means we are all forgiven now and always for all the very worst moments of who we are. By a God who sent his only son to live in a world where he'd sometimes be so hungry that he got mad at a fig tree, yet so compassionate that he'd drop everything to help someone in need. That's the Christ I see. That's the Christ I love. That's the Christ this church has helped to grow in me. And I encourage you all to think this week about the question we began with. How do we look at Christ? How do we look at Christ? I'm going to conclude my final sermon with the wise words of Graham Kendrick. Jesus, stand among us at the meeting of our lives. Be our sweet agreement at the meeting of our eyes. O oh Jesus, we love you, so we gather here. Join our hearts in unity and take away our fear. Amen.